Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match! Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, a smorgasbord for you today because there's a lot of cricket going on and lots of things have happened. Uh, obviously the IPL is underway, though it's under a bit of a cloud I suppose at the moment with uh, the terrible Covid situation in India causing the government and various authorities to wonder about whether the IPL should continue or not, so we'll discuss that a little bit. Fascinating in the county championship with uh, Gloucestershire, your Gloucestershire, Simon, uh, still doing pretty well. They're not three out of three, but they managed to stave off defeat against Hampshire, held out for a draw, so they're still doing really well in the championship. And we're going to talk a fair bit about fast bowling as well, because fast bowlers have, have done quite well in the early stages of the championship. And we've got a little bit of a, a clip of Mark Wood talking about how to get faster, and also a famous ex-fast bowler, Jonathan Agnew, talking about his life and bowling and getting Viv Richards out and also uh, how he got into the broadcasting world as a result of finishing his life as a fast bowler. But first, we should just credit your daughter, Simon, because <laughs> she's had quite a big influence on the world of cricket, you could say, this week, hasn't she? Well, I think that's a bit of a big claim, yours. But we we, we did mention uh, last week, we were talking about outs, weren't we, in, in the 100 and I asked her the question, what does she think about that? Did she think outs was a good thing or did she, did she think wickets uh, was a good thing? And she said, no, it's got to be wickets. It's got to, and she's 13 years of, of age. It's got to be wickets. She said, that's just a more interesting term. It makes me think, what's that all about? Whereas outs, no, it's a really boring term. And, and this week we had the news that, that it will no longer be outs in the 100. I say no longer. It never was. But they were thinking of, of doing it. So outs are out and wickets are back in. 
And all those, I mean, there were quite a few people, to be fair, who commented on this, and not least Jeffrey Boycott as well, who had his say. So we had, you know, we had the 80-year-old Jeffrey Boycott and the 13-year-old uh, young man who gave their input. And um, the ECB have, have, have relented. It will be wickets. It will. Uh, and so it makes the podcast that we uh, broadcast <laughs> last week, which I titled Get Out of Here, quite appropriate, really, because yeah, uh, yeah. outs have been outed. Uh, which is which is a good thing generally because I funnily enough I felt overall if you're tinkering with the essentials of the game to that extent it rather undermines your product it means mm. you're not totally confident of your product really by those kind of fiddles so uh, maybe it will just be better for the credibility of the hundred in the end. Well, except they are, you know, they've got rid of overs, haven't they? We're going to have 10 ball overs and they're all going to be from one end. I mean, they have they have fiddled uh, quite a lot, but outs was just a, a step too far. It's funny, actually, I was watching the IPL coverage, and we'll come on to the IPL in just a moment. I was watching the IPL coverage the other day, and I noticed when they had um, I think a sort of head-to-head battle, I think it was a, a one particular player against leg spin, and it had, uh, rather than dismissals, it had outs. They actually wrote the word outs in, you know, number of outs against leg spin in IPL history or whatever for this particular player. So I noticed the term had uh, cropped up in the IPL. But of course, it, you know, overall, it's still referred to wickets. But I, I did see it there, that term. Anyway, what about the IPL? Uh, players mm. are, are leaving. Uh, Zamp has gone. Ty has gone. Kane Richardson has gone. Ravi Chandran Ashwin is gone. Liam Livingston has gone. I, I noticed in the case of, of Richardson and Ty and Zampa, also three Australians, they haven't been playing very much. Uh, you mm. know, whether that is a factor as well and making it easier decision to, to go. Livingston, uh, the same. But Ravi Chandran Ashwin, of course, is a, is a vital member of the, the Delhi Capitals team. He's played uh, all his team's games so far. But it's, it's your understanding, Goz, and I know you've, you've been in contact with Manoj Vidali at the, the Rajasthan Royals. You had a good contact there with, with Manoj. You know, the, it, it is going to continue. And there's, there's no doubt about that, despite the sort of overwhelming situation of, of COVID in India at the moment. Yes, actually, I, I talked to Manoj uh, briefly and he sent me a text saying that the postponement or the suspension of the IPL is a definite possibility, but the government are focused on keeping it as it has such a positive impact on mental health when everyone is locked down. So that's one thing. Uh, the IPL, the BCCI, have announced today that uh, for the moment the IPL is continuing. And actually, I think not only is it just a, a valuable thing for people to, to be able to sort of almost escape from the, the calamity that's going on in India by, you know, enjoying a bit of cricket in, in the evening. But also, actually, and probably more importantly, it's such a, a big uh, it has such big audiences that it's an opportunity there to to get the message across to stay at home, to wear your mask, to get vaccinated with with a lot of uh, confusion around, you know, the, the, the efficacy of uh, vaccinations and the side effects they might have and some sort of religious uh, elements as well. There have been religious festivals in, in India which have been permitted by the government and that's just caused a massive waves of infection. So uh, I think you, using the IPL as a broadcasting tool to reach out to all the communities, to millions, of, well, probably hundreds of millions of people in India, uh, to have prominent individuals, the likes of Kohli and Dhoni and you know the commentators and so on, you know, passing the really important messages across is another way the IPL could use its power. Plus, also, 
you know, continuing to to use some of the money that they 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 get through it through the, the you know the profit that they get to to put into uh, various causes which can help communities. I mean, Rajasthan Royals, for instance, have their own COVID appeal, which uh, they they channel a lot of money into in the Rajasthan area. So, I think it has lots of uh, assets. The IPL, which can be used in this. Uh, very, you know, obviously difficult and and tragic situation in many cases. Chand- uh, Ravi Chandran Ashwin has gone home to be with his family because I think some of them have been infected by COVID. So he has a very personal reason for for leaving the tournament. But I think he he also says he's going to come back uh, when he can, and perhaps when the situation has eased a bit. So it sounds as if they're trying to be pragmatic. And uh, although it, you know the IPL is a sort of can be seen as a rather gratuitous money-making machine. As long as they use it in the right way, it can also be very effective at, at helping the lack of transmission of COVID, I would say. Mm. And one of the things that, that Manos said before the tournament started, you said to him, well, what contingencies uh, do, does the IPL have if players become infected inside the bubble? And he said, basically... No contingency at all. There's, you know, there's nothing in a, in, a, in a sense. You know, how how can we plan for that? And we we've seen the Pakistan Super League uh, suspended. So I mean, if 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 COVID does get inside the the IPL bubble, um, there must be a, a chance of, of the IPL being suspended for that reason as well. And I mean, it, it's it's a it's an awful situation. And we sort of saw the pictures on the BBC News last night. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable, isn't it? What uh, what is going on there? It, you're right. It does seem there is that feeling of it seemed a bit frivolous uh, playing something like the IPL uh, while that is going on. But then, you know, there is that other side of it that you've you've just outlined. Uh, there's been some uh, very one-sided matches so far, but but also some uh, dramatic cricket. We had that super over yesterday, and uh, Ravi Jadeja hitting 37 in an over. I expect you've been hit for 37 in an over in your time, uh, Yoz, but it, it doesn't happen very often, does it? Some people say, well, how, how could I get 37 in an over? Because I thought 36 was the, the most you can get, but of course he, he did hit a no ball for six as well. And I, I've mentioned this a few times, I saw James Fuller hit for 38 in an over down at Hove playing for Gloucestershire against Sussex. It was Scott Styrus on that occasion who hit him for, for 38 in an over. But 37 in an over, I mean, it's just incredible, isn't it, really? I mean, it's an amazing... I it was, you know, sort of eye-popping stuff, really. I, I'm just very lucky that there was no such thing as a free hit when I played because I did have a bit of a tendency to no ball. And you could imagine, you know, three no balls in an over, uh, which occasionally I... I, I did uh, incur, uh, you know, that's a potential for even more than 37 off and over if you have to bowl nine balls. So uh, lucky that uh, in those days, a no ball didn't incur a free hit. Mm. And, and of course, Jadeja also took, I think, three three wickets for about 12 or something as well. So, and a run three out. Wickets. So yeah. he's some cricketer. Yeah. He is indeed. Talking about run outs, uh, did you see Owen Morgan's run out? Uh, backing up, he was. It wasn't a, one of those ones where the bowler knocks the bales off. He was at the non-striker's end, and there was sort of confusion. The ball actually hit his bat. He was a non-striker. Hit his bat, went into the offside. The the striker called him through, then said no. So Morgan Morgan was sent back. So he was run out without facing a ball. He's not had a great series so far, and nor has his team either. The, the uh, Kolkata uh, Knight Riders. They they have struggled. They're they're one win from. Uh, five matches so far, and Morgan has has barely got a run. He's had four single figure scores. He he walked off with a rather rueful smile. It's funny how he he manages to sort of keep it all in, doesn't he? You you never quite know.
know what he's thinking, but he must. I mean, sometimes when that happens, you probably go, well, you know, it's one of those things. There's nothing I can do. These, these things happen in cricket. But I can imagine if a few people you probably played with and, and played against yours in your time, you might have uh, flung a bat or two uh, across the, the dressing room and uh, caused a few dents here and there. What, what about the county championship, yours? Uh, well, I, I actually, um, but, but, yes. I mean, the county championship has been interesting. Um, two players that I've been with last week uh, aren't playing in the county championship at the moment. Mark Wood and Adil Rashid. Uh, I spent two days with each of them up in the north. Um, Mark Wood is hoping to play this week for Durham against Derbyshire. But Adil Rashid is obviously uh, only on largely a white ball contract, so he's not due to play for Yorkshire until May, uh, sort of probably late May at the earliest, uh, when the um, the blast starts. Uh, but um, it, yeah, I mean, Wood, uh, I think Durham will will really enjoy having him back. And uh, why was I with uh, Mark Wood and Adil Rashid? Well, those of you who follow this podcast regularly will know that I'm making a film about England winning the World Cup. And uh, we're featuring all the players and going back to their home environments to talk to them about their upbringing and their their family influences and their friends and who got them into the game in the first place and the impact that winning the World Cup had on their communities. And actually, it's just great to see, uh, you know, cricket and certainly club cricket as well as county cricket coming out from under under a bush, you know, coming out of its hibernation, if you like. Um, Ashington, wonderful spot where, of course, they've got not only um, a World Cup winner in Mark Wood and an Ashes winner in Steve Harmison, but the, the Charlton brothers mm. as well as football World Cup winners. So quite an in- incredible story, actually, Ashington, uh, the way it produces top-class sportsmen. And uh, we said we were going to talk about fast bowling a bit today. Um, Mark Wood, who, who is still trying to get faster. He, I think, is, is right he? in saying... He's trying to get faster. He is, he is. I mean, he is trying to get faster. And um, I think it's right in saying he uh, he has bowled the fastest ball on record by an England fast mm. bowler, 95.8 miles an hour. And he's still keen on getting quicker. I actually talked to him on his home pitch about how a fast bowler can get quicker. And this is what he said. Here to be in a straight line as fast as you can. So head towards the target. So when you're running in, you're running nice and straight as if you put a piece of string from the off stump all the way down to your run up. You follow that piece of string in, your head goes towards off stump and everything else. So anything that goes offline, whether it's your arm coming out here or out here, there has to be a counter movement. So if you go there, this then has to counter. So everything you can keep in a straight line, as simple as possible to get the ball from A to B, the faster you will be. The other thing is, how do you get faster? Simple, uh, simple ways of, for say a 16, 16 year old, how do they get faster? Uh, two things, one you need to uh, make your ball and base a, t- a touch wider. The more narrow you are, the harder it is to get that momentum over. So you want um, a little bit of a wider base, a brace front leg if you can. So you, so just going to, so the back leg first. Yep. So the back, back leg. So back so leg, you want it sort of, it doesn't matter if it's in this position, this position, this position, the back leg doesn't matter, but what you want is that stiff contact. You drive that leg as far as you can into this position. If you're shorter, you've got no base to then go over. So you want it as wide as you can. So that nice long base, then you're gonna drive this back leg and back hip as fast as you can. So if you've got a little hurdle or a, anything there you put it between your legs practice jumping over as you land come over long as you can and drive that leg through towards the batsman that'll give you an extra yard of pace 
So he's using little techniques to improve his game. He's incredibly committed. Uh, he's down at his club every night or every day to, to practice both his batting and his bowling, um, just having a little bit of time off before he comes back into county cricket. And actually, you know, it's just interesting, standing next to the pitch when he's almost going through the motions, really, bowling at kind of three-quarter pace. And the, 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 the velocity of his whole body... You know, like a catapult, fizzing the ball down is is wonderful to watch. Um, it, it really is a, a, a machine that the, the way he glides to the wicket and then has this, as he was talking, a braced front leg and then you know pivots over the top of it and this whiplash of of his action fizzes the ball down. It's some sight to watch. Uh, England will be hoping that he can really keep fit and he, he strapped his ankle every morning before practice to make sure that that ankle which has had three operations is uh, is solid and, and doesn't get injured again he's sort of praying that he can have two or three more years at the top level uh, a, a bowling uh, a, that sort of velocity but God, it doesn't have to take take it out of you I mean you know every day as a fast bowler something hurts so it does require you know, a lot of commitment and almost a lot of bloody-mindedness, in a way, to, to have a career as a fast bowler. The Championship so far, though, it's not exactly been dominated by uh, fast bowlers. I mean, there aren't that many around. I mean, this, this is one of your points, isn't it? I mean, you, you think about when you were playing, and there were a lot of fast bowlers in county cricket, mainly because there were a lot of overseas players playing in county cricket. The top overseas bowlers were all there. So there was that sort of real focus. And you know, there was that feeling, wasn't there? Oh, where, where, when are we playing at Southampton? Oh, is my hamstring just a bit tight? I'm not sure, not sure I'll be able to play in that game or whatever. Everyone got the fixes at the start of the season and worked out whether you know, the top fast bowlers would be playing against them. Uh, but mm. yeah, Ollie Robinson, is, he's, he's leading a wicket taker in terms of the quick bowl. Uh, so far, I mean, he he is someone who we might well see uh, this summer. And then there's Ollie Stone, who's picked up 11 wickets so far. He took uh, six wickets in Warwickshire's uh, win against Essex, which was a really notable victory as well, wasn't it? Um, for two reasons: a, that it was quite a comfortable win in the end in terms of you know, seven wickets. I know it was quite late on the final day, but the first time that Essex have lost in 22 matches, and a, and a fine hundred by Rob Yates, who's a, a 21-year-old Birmingham University student who Alistair Cook has, has talked very highly of in the past. You know, he said, I remember speaking to him, you know, who, who have you seen around and about that's, that's caught your eye? And uh, Yates was, was one of those. So that, you know, there are players who are you know, shining so far in the championship. And what, what's great as well is the fact that it hasn't rained or barely rained. When will it ever rain again, Yoz? It's supposed to be April showers, wasn't it? It's supposed to be, oh, what's the point of playing cricket in April? Waste, waste of time. Uh, you know, the championship's been pushed to the extremities of the season. But one thing, I don't, I don't know what it is, whether it's just a freak or whether it's climate change or whatever, one thing that, that seems to have happened is that well, we had that very dry spring last year. We're having a very dry spring uh, this year and of course September is normally quite a good month for playing cricket we don't tend to get I mean the, the nights are drawing in the lights an issue but we don't tend uh, to get a huge amount of rain and actually think about the, the sort of, you think about the main cricketing months don't you June July August well you know we've had some really frustrating times of just you know, sitting there uh, w watching the rain fall you think you think of some of the test matches last summer that were hampered by rain so you know I don't know it's, it's, a, it's an interesting one isn't it about when the game should be played what sort of cricket should be played at a particular time and, and one thing people might say of course is in terms of spectating it's it's nicer to to watch in July and August because 
you know, that it's, it's warmer. I mean, it, although, uh, and, and people can't watch at the moment, but, all, you know, it has been cold. The sun's been out and it's been dry, but there's been, a, at times, there's been a sort of biting sort of northeasterly or, or northerly wind. But, you know, we, we have had a lot of cricket so far. You know, basically, we've had, you know, three rounds of matches without a great deal of interruptions. Mm. And, and players, some batsmen, with 500 mm. runs or more in, in those three games as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you talk about bowlers. It's funny, actually, because, uh, I, I, you know, watching some of the streams of, of games, uh, I just see, generally, seamers bowling with the, the wicketkeeper standing up to the stumps. That seems to be the general trend, and it has been that for you know a few years now, with the likes of Darren Stevens and you know other seam bowlers who are only bowling between seventy-five and eighty miles an hour, so they can afford to have the keeper stood up to the stumps. I suppose that is partly the nature of early season pitches in past years, which have helped that the seam bowler, the Tim Murters of this world, uh, get lots of early season wickets. They haven't had quite as much success this year because the pitches have been a, a little bit drier. But it, it is a contrast to, you know, say when I played, when, I mean, you never saw a, a wicketkeeper stood up to the stumps in the first couple of months of the season, really, and, unless it was a spinner bowling, of course. Um, it was more the case of the, the keeper was just stood outside the 30-yard circle. In the case of someone like Alan Donald, um, I did actually come into bat at uh, Edgebaston, and the, and the keeper and slips were outside the 30-yard circle. They were so far back. Uh, so... You know, it, it is a contrast uh, the way the game w- was sort of 25, 30 years ago. I wonder if it's to do with a combination of things, really. Batsmen who are sort of reared on white ball, one day type cricket, therefore their footwork isn't great, uh, non existent in some cases, and therefore the little nagging military medium seamer with a, a very shiny duke ball with a big seam can cause more problems than a than a quick bowler where footwork isn't quite as important. Um, and I suppose just the sort of general nature of, of bowling. I mean, it, you know, England tends to produce those sort of military medium seam bowlers more, doesn't it, in club cricket? If you go around the club's scene most weekends, you'll see guys of sort of 75 miles an hour taking a lot of wickets. I'm thinking Patterson from Yorkshire, that type of bowler, for instance. Um, mm. There's a lot of those around, and they're up in the uh, in the wicket-taking uh, table this year as well. Ryan Higgins of Gloucester, uh, Mohammed Abbas, we've talked about a fair bit, of Hannon Dolby from Warwickshire. They're all that type of bowler, aren't they? And, you know, great that Gloucester, by the way, have done so well so far. Two wins out of three, and then, as we said, sort of staving off defeat in that uh, that last match as well, keeping the Hampshire bowlers at bay. Can Gloucester do it? Can Gloucester win the championship this year for the first time in their history? Well, I just worry about their bowling stocks because in the end, I think the reason why Essex have been so successful is, yeah, they've made enough runs. They've got the Cooks and the, the Tom Wesleys and so on, you know, and Dan Lawrence and people making runs, but they've just got such a good bowling attack centred around Jamie Porter and, and Simon Harmer. And that's where, do you think Gloucester might just fall down mm. because they haven't got a penetrative enough bowling attack? 
Well, yeah, Penrith possibly. I mean, they've got bowling resources, and they, you know, they they do they can shuffle their pack a bit. I mean, Dan Worrell, for example, uh, came into this match, and and David Payne uh, dropped out of the side. I, I actually think their batting is is a, a bit more. Uh, vulnerable and they're, they're bowling. Their bowling is steady. Their their batting is 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 prone to collapse. But I mean, they they showed uh, you know really uh, steely determination to to uh, thwart Hampshire. I mean, it wasn't in a, in a way it was a it was a you know a grim defensive performance. I mean, they they batted. I mean, Hampshire were in the field for two hundred and twenty nine point one overs. You know, without a break. I say without a break. I mean, they they obviously had you know tea breaks and dinner breaks and and, and overnight. But from the time that they were all out. Because they enforced the follow-on, uh, it was Gloucestershire got to 150, and they did one run to avoid being asked to follow on. It was a really tense situation. I was I was watching it on the stream, and then they, they Vince took a catch at the second attempt at, at slip and a, an attacking shot and a cut shot that was just a bit too close to cut, and it was taken at slip. And so suddenly the game changed, and Hampshire felt compelled to to make Gloucestershire follow on because that was the only way really that they were going to win the game. You felt that they would have run out of time. The pitch was quite slow. I mean, that's the other thing as well, yours. We've slow pitches, don't we? And we, we, we've, had a, we've had dry weather, but generally speaking, at this stage of the season, the pitches are a bit slow, and that doesn't really encourage uh, fast bowling. If you want to take up fast bowling as, you know, in Australia, generally the pitches encourage you, don't you? Whereas here, they, they don't. Anyway, you know, back to Gloucestershire, and they, they, they just fought it out. They had that 10th wicket stand on the last day between... Uh, Dom Goodman, who's a, who's a, a novice, he's a talented uh, young cricketer, just come into the side, and, and Josh Shaw, who they got from Yorkshire, and they resisted for sort of close on on twenty overs, and it must have been awful for Hampshire, who you know who played a lot of good cricket in the game, sort of made all the running, and actually you you look at potential county champions. And you'd have to, I think you'd have to look, at, you know, Hampshire might might be in there with a, a shout. I, I don't mm. think Gloucestershire, I think they just had a very good start to the season. But Hampshire, they, they do look to have quite a good all-round side. And their bowling attack, uh, you know, it does have options. It's got a left arm, it's got Mohamed Abbas, um, you know, and it's got a couple of spinners as well in, in Crane and Dawson. But the, the pitch was just a bit too slow, really, for them. They did, they did pick up wickets, they did, you know, they did um, work away. But you know, ultimately, they they took 19 wickets in the match. They they couldn't take 20 wickets in those 230 overs. They were out in the field. So I would say no to Gloucest- no to Gloucestershire. Although they have made a a great start to this season. Um, Somerset won twice as well. They'll be coming up on the rails, and then, and Hampshire look look pretty solid as well. So I think that those that those look like the options in in, in that division. Although it is very early days, isn't it? And there's so much cricket to to play yet. And who know who knows? We might get all this rain that, that we haven't had. Uh, so far, but, you know, we, when we pose the question, when will it rain again? Of course, we don't particularly want it to, but it does—it does seem so unusual. Everything's so dry out there, and it's April. It just seems—I don't know—it just seems really weird. Normally, we have April showers, and you know we've sort of got the umbrellas up and Macintoshes on, and it—you know—it's it, horrible weather. But um, long may it continue. Hampshire are interesting. They, they they take a bit more. They took a bit more care, perhaps, or they were uh, a little bit more forward thinking mm. in their bowling resources by signing up Mohammed Abbas and also Carl Abbott, who obviously has played for them for a, for a couple of years, in advance of uh, you know one or two of these sort of uh, tours being out, added. And I mean, COVID has obviously thrown everybody's lives into total disarray, and not mm. least the directors of cricket of the various counties trying to work out uh, who to uh, appoint as their overseas players because 
tours of different countries have suddenly been added to make up for things that have been missed over uh, years gone by. But the, the Hampshire thinking ahead and managed to get Mohammed Abbas, who's not involved with the Pakistan test team, which seems extraordinary, actually, but he's not playing in the, the Pakistan test team playing against Zimbabwe at the moment. And therefore, you know, that's been a, a lucky thing for Hampshire with Carl Abbott at the other end. Will they win the championship? Well, do you know when Hampshire last won the championship? Go on. 1973, under Richard Gilliatt. Um, the leading uh, run scorer for them was Gordon Greenwich that year. And they came close in 1985. Do you know who stopped them? You, yours. I bet it's you. It was me, <laughs> kind of. Go on, tell um, us the story. Well, the, it, it was it was a similar story to the um, the, the Gloucestershire-Hampshire game the other day. Uh, Middlesex were playing Hampshire at Dean Park, Bournemouth, which is sadly no more as a county venue. Uh, very flat pitch. And we were batting last, needing about, I don't know, 300 to win. And we collapsed to 80 for eight by T on the last day. So Hampshire had two hours to get the last two wickets and polish off victory. But somehow I managed to stay in with, uh, I was number 10, and I managed to stay in with Jamie Sykes. Uh, we had Malcolm Marshall bowling at one end, firing them down. Luckily, as I say, it was a bit of a feather bed, so the ball wasn't bouncing much. But he tried his best, and we had a, an assortment of people like Cardigan Connor and Rajesh Maru and others bowling at the other end. And we managed to, to hold out for a draw, uh, stayed in till the end of play. Uh, well, that was in midsummer, and uh, Middlesex finished up winning the championship in that year, 1985, to Hampshire, who was second, by five points. So if Hampshire had won that game, they would, in the end, have ended up with more points than Middlesex. And so Mark Nicholas, who was captain of Hampshire at the time, always blames me for foiling Hampshire's attempt to, to win the championship for the first time since 1973, and they haven't done it since. Um, mm. So it's you know it's uh, what nearly forty years since uh, since they did that. So it'd be amazing achievement. Well, more than forty years, isn't it? Nearly fifty years, in fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Close close on fifty years. He, he says he says he blames you, Oz. You were just doing your job, weren't you? As a, <laughs> as a lower order player. And so you're suggesting that uh, Dom Goodman and Josh Shaw, you know, sort of history is going to repeat itself. You know that that twenty overs or whatever was close on they batted for on the on the final day might sort of end up. Thwarting Hampshire, well, it might. Who knows? But Hampshire, top of that, uh, top of um, one of the groups uh, with fifty-eight points, Gloucestershire second on on fifty-five. I notice in the in the Warwickshire Worcestershire Essex group, uh, that excellent game between Warwickshire and, and Essex, finishing with a, a win for Warwickshire, uh, top of that group. Bottom of the group, but it, it is quite tight. Bottom of that group are Nottinghamshire, but Hasib Hamid. Uh, it sort of feel, it feels almost at last, doesn't it? Two hundreds in the match. Batting for six hundred and thirty-five balls, we we sort of knew he had it in him. I mean, that, that you know that baby boycott tag that he was given before he made his his Test debut in Nagpur. It really, it came to the fore, didn't it? And they were looking to bat out the game, but that was the the, the most anyone has batted in a Championship match, definitely since nineteen ninety-seven when they started doing uh, ball by ball uh, records. I saw an Andrew Sampson tweet. Uh, last night, saying it's almost certain that someone's batted longer in the past than than Hamid. But I mean, the stats going around, you know, he's batted longer than anybody in a in a county championship match. But that isn't necessarily the case. But ne ne what you can say is, um, you know, fantastic effort 
uh, from him. And I, you have that feeling, don't you, in the game? Anyone who saw him play in Nagpur, saw him play on that Indian tour, and actually saw him play in Mahali as well. He, he played a superb innings in Mahali with a broken finger, and then he, he you know, he had to get, leave the tour after that because there was just too much damage, and they couldn't risk him playing, especially if he was fielding. But anyone who saw him play thought that you know this this guy has got the the technique, he has got the temperament to play. Test cricket. There, you know, there have been doubts about his ability against the short ball, and, and you know, as Jeffrey was saying in the virtual cricket club actually a couple of weeks ago, you know, if 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 you're struggling against the short ball, you will get found out eventually in in Test cricket. But anyone who saw him thought this guy is this guy's going to go on and play 80, 80 Test matches or whatever uh, for England, and it just hasn't happened. His career has just sort of gone sort of gone off a cliff. Uh, you know, really low averages. Average thirty, you know, a bit better last season. Average thirty eight, but you know, two hundreds in the match. Um, I suppose it's watch this space from here, isn't it? I mean, you, you know, that's, it's only the first stepping stones, really. You, you have to, you know, it, it, it's very good, excellent, 200s in the match, batting a long time. But it's, it's sort of putting all those innings together now, I suppose, and, and trying to you know, really sort of build your portfolio, build your CV up to say, yeah, I really am back. Mm. Oh, it's great to see. And it, it, it brings to mind that sort of terrible cliche about London buses, doesn't it, that... He's he's hadn't scored many runs for a long time, and then suddenly two hundred in the same game. Good footwork is is one thing. You know, I I mentioned before that the lack of footwork you see in a, a lot of players now, and he's certainly not one of those. He is someone who does you know take a proper stride to the ball. And actually, one of the things I worried about him a little bit was that at times he got so close to the ball, almost sort of sniffing it. That he would get hit on the hands, and sure enough, he did actually, and, and had a broken finger, you know, which kind of caused him quite a lot of problems. So maybe he's uh, adapted that a bit, because uh, if you play too low as an opening batsman, certainly in Test cricket, you are going to get hit on the fingers quite a lot. So that's one area that that, that maybe he can work on. Now, this this is maybe a, a, a non sequitur, but uh, Jonathan Agnew, uh, who I mentioned at the start. Uh, we're, we're featuring on this programme today. Um, he wasn't keen on batting. In fact, in the uh, quiz that we did with him in the Virtual Cricket Club last week, one of the questions was, why did you bat outside leg stump against Wayne Daniel at Lords? And his answer, his correct answer was, I felt I owed it to my side to be fit to bowl. So he took guard outside leg stump and, and didn't last very long. But... The whole thing about fast bowlers is that, that you do want to try and stay fit to bowl, obviously, because fast bowling is can be quite a short career. We've already seen Mark Wood have a number of injuries that, that have held him back. I mean, Jimmy Anderson remarkably has managed to overcome lots of injuries, in, in his case, certainly more recently, and, and Stuart brought mm. another one as well. Um, they've had a, a long career, partly, I suppose, looked after by the ECB, not playing too much one-day cricket, and, and, you know, very much sort of protected, kept into cotton wool, if you like. So they were able to bowl fast into their mid and late 30s. Agnew wasn't one of those. Um, he was often on the physio's table, though I think that was possibly just for, for having a rest uh, as much as, as any treatment required. He but did take 666 first-class wickets. Though, yeah, no, and he did. And, and he was a superb bowler uh, that, that I really looked up to. I mean, he, he was built... You know, like a stick insect, but he did actually generate good pace, and and he swung the ball as well. He was very consistent, so you know he was he was a fine bowler. And the only thing I'd say about uh, having a fast bowling career is you do need to have something uh, to back you up because that career could end at any moment. Mm. So 
to start thinking in your 30s about what else you can do uh, is quite important. And that's something Jonathan really very much did. He did all sorts of odd jobs in the winters. So we just asked him in the Virtual Cricket Club how it was that he started out in radio. It was about 1987, wasn't it, I think, when um, because we had to get jobs. <laughs> there weren't 12-month contracts for county mm. cricketers, so you had to get work. And I had done all sorts of strange things. Um, I'd driven a, a lorry delivering asbestos, I slightly regret these days. Um, <laughs> made windows in a window factory. I mean, you know, all sorts of things, because you could only get a six-month job. You, 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 no one's going to take you on for longer because they knew that you'd be gone in April. So it was a six-month job. Um, and then John Rawling, who was the sports producer at Radio Leicester, came up to me one September, I suppose. He said, what are you doing? I said, I've got nothing. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and so he said, well, come on, work for us. Come work for Radio Leicester. He said, oh, you won't get paid anything, but I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I think you might be quite good at it. Come and give it a go. So that was how it started. I started off doing the early morning shift. So up at you know four o'clock or whatever, doing the sports yeah. shifts. That's where I met Emma um, because she was doing the news. Um, and there were so many mistakes when I mean, anyone in local radio, you burn off all your mistakes there, don't you? I mean, because you, and you quickly progress. That's the thing, because local radio in those days. You hope you not, burn them all off, I guess. Well, you try, you don't always you burn hope. them off. <laughs> but John, John very quickly went to London, and then I'm suddenly doing not just the early shifts, but I'm doing the Saturday afternoon programme, playing records, you know, some at the wrong speed in those days. You're supposed to play <laughs> at 45, they come in at 33 and a third, and just horrendous mistakes. Um, but I loved radio and I, and, I, and I really got the bug. So for those two or three years, those winters, Radio Leicester let me do it every winter. And the football managers, I loved David Pleat, Brian Hamilton. They were just so good to me at Leicester because I didn't know anything about football at all. And of course, like any local radio station, the world revolves around its local football club. And they were brilliant. I'd sit down with David Pleat, who who had come under, under a bit of a shadow uh, from Tottenham Hotspur, I think, or Luton or somewhere. Anyway, a bit of a shadow. Anyway, he was he was there. And he was so nice and so kind. And Brian, too, Brian Hamilton, who I interviewed, funnily enough, he, I think he became the Antiguan coach or something. And so I interviewed him when we were last in Antigua. Lovely Irishman. Yeah, very nice there, man. And they would say, how long have you got? I said, well, I need five minutes, really. Oh, OK, they'll just talk. <laughs> and they were fantastic. Um, both both loved their cricket and both, both gave me a hand. But I, it, it was... I think you know, I think you know, and you two will know too, what, what essentially of a type of broadcaster you are. Are you a radio person or are you a television person? Because they are very different. And, um, you know, I know absolutely unequivocally I'm a radio person. I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing live television. It just doesn't. Why, why is that? What, what is it about live I, television? I'm not sure. I think it's a bit, it's a bit self-conscious, I think. You know, whereas radio, you're just hidden away, aren't you? And um, mm -hmm you know no one can see you so um i i i prefer working like that you can be more yourself the camera's always on you isn't it and i mean i think i think the camera flatters some people and it doesn't necessarily flatter some other people i know i have got a very large nose um and it, it sort of it seems to cast an enormous enormous shadow across the presenter of television when i'm on it um so uh, I, i'm just happy on the radio you know you're anonymous I'd hate to live a television person's life where uh, you know, you're just recognised all the time. I mean, it must be yeah, really tricky. So radio, radio it is for me. I'm at home on the radio. You can, I, I find I can be myself on the radio. 
where um, um, you know, not not perhaps so much on the telly. So that's you know, you know what. Do you, do you find it. that you, do you find that people recognise your voice? Oh yeah, more, more than your face. I mean, when yeah. they hear you talking, they go, oh, "I, I recognise your voice." It's extraordinary. I mean, you know, obviously, I don't live in London, so I, I, do, I do. I get cabs here and there, and taxi drivers are extraordinary because <laughs> someone will get it straight away. I'll say, "Lords," I goes, "Oh, mate, great to talk to you." Yeah, I'll be tuned in later. And others will be. You can see them sitting there, and they'll they'll be talking. You can see them, and you know what they're thinking: "Who the hell is this?" And yeah. sort of, and then you get to the end of the journey, you know, they for God. Please, for God's sake, put me out of my misery. You know, mm. who are you? I've been, mean, you know, I know, I know that voice. And it's oh, of course, mate. You know, of course. Oh, crikey, yeah, lovely cricket. And um, yeah, just really strange, strange moments where, where you, you, you you sort of have to behave yourself, really. I mean, you know, supermarket queues have been a bit stressful recently, haven't they? And and I remember an incident about a few months ago where I just got a bit. Just a bit cross in what was going on. There's a bit of a shambles going on the front. You know, come on, you know. And uh, oh, yeah, 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 keep your air on, Aggers. You know, you'll be oh god, you know, and someone's <laughs> someone's got it. late for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, so you know, but that goes with the territory, doesn't it? But I, I you know, to get that the first thing. I mean, I, I do remember. I remember my first broadcast for for BBC sort of serious radio, not underplaying Radio Leicester, but Peter Baxter left. I was on the ninety. 91 Ashes tour and we were in Ballarat I think either Ballarat or Bendigo and, and he had gone and CMJ blessing we always turned up late uh, wasn't going to do one of those games so he was rocking up for the Melbourne test at Boxing Day so I was left in charge of covering the England tour not just the Today newspaper who I was writing for uh, but also for BBC and I remember because I was so self-conscious about my voice and I insisted to the surprise of the locals on the, the line being put into the groundsman's shed so I knew no one would be in there. Um, and so the grounds of, geez, Matt, what are, you, what are you doing in here? You know, and I said, well, I, yeah, I'm WC and, uh, you know, it's obviously got a view from here, the scoreboard or something. But it's purely because I was so self-conscious of, of not doing these reports for the first time uh, in front of all the hacks who I was up in competition with anyway, working with today. I was up against the sun and the star and the mirror, all these like male express. Now, the only problem was that the grounds had this bloody great Alsatian dog. <laughs> <laughs> that was a real brute of a thing. And it, it took a complete dislike to me. And so every time I went into the grounds of the shed to go do my report on the hour, it was this thing would just, just go berserk. You can hear it sort of salivating at the door and trying to break into the shed to come and uh, I don't know, devour me or something. So that, that pretty quickly taught me. Just gotta, and you've done it many, many times, both of you. You, know, you just got to hide your inhibitions, haven't you? And it's a horrible thing broadcasting in a silent press box. It's funny actually with Jonathan now because you, you almost forget that he played first class cricket. You, you almost forget that he, he played, uh, what is it, three test matches for England, three one day internationals. And, and, and probably in another era, I don't know, he might have played a bit more. There were quite a few bowlers around at the time. And you know, sometimes it's about whether your face fits at, at, at the right time. And, and you, know, you, think, you think of someone like, uh, I mean, Neil Mallander got a test match, didn't he? Um, I, mean, Agus, I mean, I know Agus did get a test match, but uh, you know, there, lot, lots of people got test matches. And it, uh, also, I thought uh, that sense in which there was a bit of a conveyor belt as well. You got picked for a few games and then you got jettisoned. And that didn't that wasn't just uh, bowlers. It, it was batsmen as well. But I mean, someone who, who did make a very successful career as a, a quick bowler is coming in the Virtual Cricket Club this week. Yeah, Darren Goff. Yes, the Dazzler. 
as he uh, was well known. And he started out, actually, as not a quick bowler. Funnily enough, a bit like Mark Wood, because Mark Wood, when he was 17 or 18, he says was only a sort of medium-ish pace, really. And he was more That's of a right. batsman bat- to start batsman, with. Batsman, yeah. Uh, but he then you know, found a, a way of bowling quicker. And Goffey was the same. There's an interesting story, actually, about uh, Goffey and when he was playing for Yorkshire and Richie Richardson was the overseas player. And uh, they were bowling against Hampshire. Hampshire keeps cropping up in this in this episode, doesn't it? Uh, and he couldn't get the uh, last few batsmen out. And he was bowling his sort of, you know, 82 miles an hour stuff. And Sean Noodle was one who was knocking him around a bit. And Richie Richardson w- went down the pitch from first slip and said to Goffey, come on, man, you know, let him have it, man. You know, r- really let him have it. And so Goffey stepped it up a bit and, and started to bowl proper quick stuff. And from then on, he was able to generate 90-mile-an-hour deliveries and, and did, did become a genuine quick bowler. And that, that changed his career. Just that sort of one word from, from Richie, really, that one a little bit of advice. And he, he converted from someone who was probably just one of a number of fast medium bowlers to someone who was a real spearhead for quite a long time. And we've got him in the Virtual Cricket Club this Wednesday. It's a later start than normal because he does his talk sport show from four till seven. Then he's got to get home. So we're starting at nine o'clock this Wednesday night in the Virtual Cricket Club. Darren Goff, exclusively for us to hear his opinions. And he's always quite forthright. Yep. Uh, so you can join us by going to worldsbestcricketclub.com. That's worldsbestcricketclub.com. It's £6 a month to join, but the money goes to the Professional Cricketers Trust, the charity that supports cricketers who've fallen on hard times, a few fast bowlers amongst them, no doubt. And uh, it's £6 a month, as I say, but that guarantees four live events. And we have Paul Collingwood in the Virtual Cricket Club the week after. So some good, uh, a good couple of guests coming up. Yeah, and uh, will will Goffey finish by midnight? I mean, as you say, he's normally got quite a lot of opinions and quite a lot to say. So, so you, you as the sort of like the host, Yozzy, I think you yeah you need to sort of you need to you need to get us all in our beds reasonably early because um you know um we don't, we do we do we want to? Well, it's you I worry about. <laughs> you're the one who always wants to go off early, don't you? Because well, you've got to go and well, got... you know read your read your wife a nighttime story, a bedtime story, well, or my daughter a, a bedtime story, or whatever, or just spend some time with the family, or. Or watching Unforgotten, uh, catching up on Unforgotten on on Netflix, those, those sorts of things. Anyway, or walk the dog as well. So you know there are lots of things to do. But anyway, so um, yeah, that that's your that's your task, Yoz, to, to um, yeah. usher, usher Goffy into keep it short and yeah, sweet. Uh, usher Goffy into a you know maximum ten thirty finish on on Wednesday night. Yeah, okay, I will. And by the way, uh, I said we got Paul Collingwood the week after. Did you see he played against Woody in the? Um, the Northeastern Premier League at the weekend. Collingwood playing for Shotley Bridge. Woody playing for Ashington. Woody uh, bowled a few overs. I don't think he got any wickets. He didn't get. He, he was actually supposed to be playing as a batsman. Batted at number three. But it, when he found out Collingwood, Collingwood was playing, he said, right, I'm going to have a bowl as well. But Collingwood had the last laugh. He got 26 not out and saw his team to victory. It's amazing, isn't it? You, you play club cricket at the weekend and, uh, you, you know, you, OK, it's challenging. But then suddenly there's, there's Mark Wood, one of the fastest bowlers in the world, charging in at you. Um, talk about pulling those hamstrings earlier on when, you know, when you're facing Malcolm <laughs> Marshall. You'd yeah. be tempted to do that, wouldn't you, as a, as a, as a club 
cricketer. But I mean, he, well, he, if he said he wasn't going to bowl, then you think, okay, fair enough. And then suddenly you see him at the the end of his elongated run up now, because of course he's he's lengthened it anyway. Um, it's 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 best these days to to watch it all from the sidelines rather than be. be out well, there I don't know. You know, I, I, the thing is, I mean, you, you want to experience it, though, don't you? Mm. I mean, it, it, don't you want to? Even if you get a first baller, it's it's sort of it, I was there sort of moment, isn't it? I, I faced suppose. Mark Wood in a yeah, club match. Yeah. I mean. You know the protection's pretty good these days. He's not going to try and bounce you out unless I you, face Goffey, you sledge him first. I face, so. I face Goffey. Yeah, did you? yeah. In, in the nets at Lords, and it's pretty serious it, stuff, isn't it? Did you survive? I, I did actually. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't hit many. He was sort of nipping them back onto my thigh pad. It was it was some sort of sponsors event, and he was he wasn't he wasn't really mm. rushing in. Dominic Cork was there as well. He bowled me a bouncer, of course. Well, that's inevitable, isn't it? With with Cork, I mean, I did have a helmet on, but he couldn't resist the temptation to. To bomb me a bouncer, but Goffey pitched it up and moved it around. I didn't. I didn't hit many. But you're right. God, I so wish I could. Have, I so wish I could have had a go at you when I was <laughs> in my pomp. I would have given you lots of lots around your ear holes. Yeah. Oh, I'd have, I'd have really loved that. Well, per- persecuting people who are not as good as you, yours. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you know, if you've got that armory of a, an 84 mile an hour bouncer, use it whenever you can and shut people up. Talking about shutting people up, it's time to shut up you, Yoz. Um, great. Um, right, join us on Wednesday in the Virtual Cricket Club. But uh, for this podcast, that's it for now. Goodbye. Podcast Network.